Chapter Eleven of the Four Feathers. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Gary Ullman. The Four Feathers by A. E. W. Mason. Durrance hears news of Feversham. A month later, Durrance arrived in London and discovered a letter from Ethne awaiting him at his club. It told him simply that she was staying with Mrs. Adair and would be glad if he would find the time to call. But there was a black border to the paper and the envelope. Durrance called at Hill Street the next afternoon and found Ethne alone. I did not write to Wadi Halfa, she explained at once, for I thought that you would be on your way home before my letter could arrive. My father died last month, towards the end of May. I was afraid when I got your letter that you would have this to tell me. He replied, I am very sorry you will miss him. More than I can say, said she, with a quiet depth of feeling. He died one morning early, I think. I will tell you if you would care to hear. And she related to him the matter of Dermod's death of which a chill was the occasion rather than the cause, for he died of gradual dissolution rather than a definite disease. It was a curious story which Ethne had to tell, for it seemed that just before his death, Dermod recaptured something of his old masterful spirit. We knew that he was dying, Ethne said. He knew it too, and at seven o'clock of the afternoon after, she hesitated for a moment and resumed. After he had spoken for a little while to me, he called his dog by name. The dog sprang at once onto the bed, though his voice had not risen above a whisper, and crouching quite close, pushed its muzzle with a whine under my father's hand. Then he told me to leave him and the dog altogether alone. I was to shut the door upon him. The dog would tell me when to open it again. I obeyed him and waited outside the door until one o'clock. Then a loud, sudden howl moaned through the house. She stopped for a while. This pause was the only sign of distress which she gave, and in a moment she was on, speaking quite simply, without any of the affections of grief. It was trying to wait outside that door while the afternoon faded and the night came. It was night, of course, long before the end. He would have no lamp left in his room. One imagined him just the other side of that thin, door panel lying very still and silent in the great four-poster bed with his face towards the hills and the light falling one imagined the room slipping away into darkness and the window continually looming into a great importance and the dog by his side and no one else right to the very end he would have it that way but it was rather hard for me durant said nothing in reply but gave her in full measure what she most needed the sympathy of his silence he imagined those hours in the passage six hours of twilight and darkness he could picture her standing close by the door with her ear perhaps to the panel and a hand upon her heart to check its loud beating there was something rather cruelly thought in demard's resolve to die alone it was ethne who broke the silence i said that my father spoke to me just before he told me to leave him of whom do you think he spoke she was looking directly at durrance as she put the question 
from neither her eyes nor the level tone of her voice could he gather anything of the answer but a sudden throb of hope caught away his breath tell me he said in a sort of suspense as he leaned forward in his chair of mr feversham she answered and he drew back again and rather suddenly it was evident that this was not the name which he had expected he took his eyes from her and stared downward at the carpet so that she might not see his face my father was always very fond of him she continued gently i think that i would like to know if you have any knowledge of what he is doing or where he is durrance did not answer nor did he raise his face he reflected upon the strange strong hold which harry feversham kept upon the affections of those who had once known him well so that even the man whom he had wronged upon whose daughter he had brought much suffering must remember him with kindliness upon his deathbed the reflection was not without its bitterness to durrance at this moment and this bitterness he was afraid that his face and voice might both betray but he was compelled to speak for ethne insisted you have never come across him i suppose she asked durrance rose from his seat and walked to the window before he answered he spoke looking out into the street but though he thus concealed the expression of his face a thrill of deep anger sounded through his words in spite of his efforts to subdue his tones no he said i never have and suddenly his anger had its way with him it chose as well as informed his words and i never wished to he cried he was my friend i know but i cannot remember that friendship now i can only think that if he had been the true man we took him for he would not have waited alone in that dark passage during those six hours he turned again to the centre of the room and asked abruptly you are going back to glenola yes you will live there alone yes for a little while there was silence between them then durrance walked round to the back of a chair you once said that you would perhaps tell me why your engagement was broken off but you know she said what you said at the window showed that you knew no i do not one or two words your father let drop he asked me for news of feversham the last time that i spoke with him but i know nothing definite i should like you to tell me ethne shook her head and leaned forward with her elbows on her knees not now she said and silence again followed her words durrance broke it again i have only one more year at halfa it would be wise to leave egypt then i think i do not expect much will be done in the soudan for some little while i do not think that i will stay there in any case i mean even if you should decide to remain alone at glenola ethne made no pretence to ignore the suggestion of his words we are neither of us children she said you have all your life to think of we should be prudent yes said durrance with a sudden exasperation but the right kind of prudence the prudence which knows that it's worth while to dare a good deal ethne did not move she was leaning forward with her back towards him so that he could see nothing of her face and for a long while she remained in this attitude quite silent and very still she asked the question at last and in a very low and gentle voice do you want me so very much and before he could answer she turned quickly towards him try not to she exclaimed earnestly for this one year try not to 
you have much to occupy your thoughts try to forget me altogether and there was just sufficient regret in her tone the regret at the prospect of losing a valued friend to take all the sting from her words to confirm durrance in his delusion that but for her fear that she would spoil his career she would answer him in very different words mrs adair came into the room before he could reply and thus he carried away with him his delusion he dined that evening at his club and sat afterwards smoking a cigar under the big tree where he sat so persistently a year before in his vain quest for news of harry feversham it was much the same sort of clear night as that on which he had seen lieutenant such limp into the courtyard and hesitate at the sight of him the strip of sky was cloudless and starry overhead the air had the pleasant languor of a summer night in june the lights flashing from the windows and doorways gave to the leaves of the trees the fresh green look of spring and outside in the roadway the carriages rolled with a thunderous hum like the sound of the sea and on this night too there came a man into the courtyard who knew durrance but he did not hesitate he came straight up to durrance and sat down upon the seat at his side durrance dropped the paper in which he was glancing and held out his hand how do you do said he the friend was captain mather i was wondering whether i should meet you when i read the evening paper i knew that it was about the time one might expect to find you in london you have seen i suppose what asked durrance then you haven't replied mather he picked up the newspaper which durrance had dropped and turned over the sheets searching for the piece of news which he required you remember that last reconnaissance we made from suakin very well we halted by the sinkat port at midday there was an arab hiding in the trees at the back of the glacis yes have you forgotten the yarn he told you about gordon's letters and the wall of a house in berber no i had not forgotten then there's something which will interest you said captain mather having folded the paper to his satisfaction handed it to durrance and pointed to a paragraph it was a short paragraph it gave no details it was the merest summary and durrance read it through between the puffs of his cigar the fellow must have gone back to berber after all said he a risky business abu fatma that was the man's name the paragraph made no mention of abu fatma or indeed of any man except captain willoughby the deputy governor of suakin it merely announced that certain letters which the mahdi had sent to gordon summoning him to surrender khartoum and inviting him to be a convert to the modest religion together with copy of gordon's curt replies have been recovered from a wall in berber and brought safely to captain willoughby at suakin they were hardly worth risking a life for said mather perhaps not replied durrance a little doubtfully but after all one is glad they have been recovered perhaps the copies are in gordon's own hands they are at all events of an historic interest in a way no doubt said mather but even so their recovery throws no light upon the history of the siege it can make no real difference to anyone not even to the historians that is true 
durrance agreed and there was nothing more untrue in the same spot where he had sought for news of feversham news had now come to him only he did not know he was in the dark he could not appreciate that here was news which however little it might trouble the historian touched his life at the springs he dismissed the paragraph from his mind and sat thinking over the conversation which had passed that afternoon between ethne and himself and without discouragement ethne had mentioned harry feversham it was true had asked for news of him but she might have been nay she probably had been moved to ask because her father's last words had referred to him she had spoken his name in a perfectly steady voice he remembered and indeed the mere fact that she had spoken it at all might be taken as a sign that it had no longer any power with her there was something hopeful to his mind in her very request that he should try during this one year to admit her from her thoughts for it seemed almost to imply that if he could not she might at the end of it perhaps give to him the answer for which he longed he allowed a few days to pass then called again at mrs adair's house but he found only mrs adair ethne had left london and returned to donegal she had left rather suddenly mrs adair told him and mrs adair had no sure knowledge of the reason of her going durrance however had no doubt as to the reason ethne was putting into practice the policy which she had commended to his thought he was to try to forget her and she would help him to success so far as she could by her absence from his sight and in attributing this reason to her durrance was right but one thing ethne had forgotten she had not asked him to cease to write to her and accordingly in the autumn of that year the letters began again to come from the soudan she was frankly glad to receive them but at the same time she was troubled for in spite of their careful reticence every now and then a phrase leaped out it might be merely the repetition of some trivial sentence which she had spoken long ago and long ago forgotten and she could not but see that in spite of her prayer she lived perpetually in his thoughts there was a strain of hopefulness too as though he moved in a world painted with new colours and suddenly grown musical ethne had never freed herself from the haunting fear that one man's life had been spoilt because of her she had never faltered from her determination that this should not happen with a second only with durrance's letter before her she could not evade a new and perplexing question by what means was that possibility to be avoided there were two ways by choosing which of them could she fulfil her determination she was no longer so sure as she had been the year before that his career was all in all the question recurred to her again and again she took it out with her on the hillside with the letters and pondered and puzzled over it and got never an inch nearer to a solution even a violin failed her in this strait End of chapter 11